This episode is brought to you by Maui Nui Venison, a mission-based food company bringing the healthiest meat on the planet directly to your door. I have strived over the years to cultivate a deeper connection with the food that fuels myself and my family, balancing nutritional value and ethics that align with our values. This process has led me to harmonize with nature as much as possible. Maui Nui Venison brings this process to fruition. Not only does this company provide the most nutrient-dense meat available, this is the only stress-free, 100% wild-harvested red meat on the market, an operation that is truly one of its kind, actively managing Maui's invasive axis deer populations, helping to restore balance to vulnerable ecosystems and communities in Hawaii. Maui Nui seeks to restore balance, not eradicate or farm these animals. Managing populations means only a limited number of memberships are available. Get yours while you can. Go to MauiNuiVenison.com slash mindful to get 20% off your first order. Before you drift off into one of our meditations or dive into a podcast interview, I would like to share with you one of the new opportunities for our listeners at The Mindful Movement. This is Sarah Raymond, and I'm so excited to announce the expansion of our coaching services to include two of my good friends and excellent coaches, Nikki Dyer and Laura Cannon. Both Nikki and Laura provide their own unique skill sets, allowing us to meet the needs of our growing audience. If you want to learn more, just follow the coaching link in the show notes. As always, we are grateful for your support and look forward to working with you. Hello and welcome to the Mindful Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Les Raymond. Thank you for joining me today for another episode. I'm really excited about this episode. Rob Wolf, somebody that's been very influential, I think, in the wellness scene for quite some time, has reached out to the Mindful Movement to talk about one of his recent projects that I'm a huge fan of. Really, the exposure I've had of Rob over the years, just being interested in health and wellness, in general has always resonated with me. I've always liked the things he had to say, even though I've never followed him really closely because he has such kind of a broad presence in the wellness scene. Over the years, I've just got lots of, I guess, pieces of his work that have been uh, you know, delivered through various platforms that have come into my awareness. And it's just great. He seems super smart, super passionate, really cares about health and the health of not just individuals, but the planet. And he has some really exciting new projects on the horizon that I look forward to having him back for in the future to talk about. Today we talk a little bit about minerals, which I have learned kind of the hard way that they're just really important. So if you're living an active lifestyle, meaning like, you know, you do stuff and you exercise and you know, you get out in nature, you're kind of using the battery up in some way and it needs to be replenished. We're always needing to recharge. You know, one way we recharge is just sleeping every night, kind of recharging our battery. But there's also just this very basic level of nutrients of the things that all of our cells require to do all the activities that they're responsible for. And for some reason, these basics are just really overlooked. They're just I guess underappreciated maybe. And it's amazing how much progress you could 
make in your sense of well-being just by paying a little more attention to the things that are the most basic. So we talk a little bit about that. Uh, so hopefully there's something to learn in this conversation. And I'm just really excited for it. Big fan of Rob's and really looking forward to sitting down chatting with him. I hope you enjoy the show. All right, I got Rob Wolf here. I'm so pumped to talk to this guy. I've been listening to Rob for a long time. Rob, please say hello to the Mindful Movement audience. Hey, huge honor to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so you have been, I guess, a big name in the health and wellness for a long time. I've heard you interview, uh, be interviewed many times. I've listened to your podcast, which, by the way, with your wife, Nikki, is really excellent. You guys complement each other so well. I'm grateful for the work that you're doing. I know that I've benefited personally. Um, I know you are spread out in a lot of areas, so I don't even really know where to start, but I was thinking maybe we could start by giving the audience just kind of a rundown of a little bit of your background and how'd you get to where you are today? Sure. Uh, I'm almost 50 now, so I find that each time I try to tell the story, I start getting the wandering old man kind of kind of deal, <laughs> so I'll try to be concise on this, but I've always been interested in health and human performance, and I, I think, interestingly, it was because uh, my, my family of origin, you know, unfortunately, both, both my parents were very unwell. Both of them smoked, my dad drank, uh, both of them developed type two diabetes pretty early in their lives. And my mom ended up, we, we discovered later, and this was kind of a, an aha moment in my own health journey. She had about seven different interrelated autoimmune conditions, lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, Sjogren's, and just a host of different problems. And so I always suspected that, you know, eating better, exercising, things like that would be helpful. But uh, you know, it was just through random experimentation that I, I kind of went down this path. And in, in that experimentation, I was, I did an undergrad in biochemistry, was looking at either medical school or kind of a, a research track in autoimmunity and, and cancer research. And it was around this time that I developed ulcerative colitis uh, to such a degree. I'm about 165, 170 pounds right now. Um, my ulcerative colitis was so bad that uh, I, I was down to about 125, 130 pounds. I mean, oh whatever food I ate just came out largely unchanged and horrible malabsorption issues. And there were a lot of things going on there. I, I was um, kind of living like an asshole because I was a grad student and I, I was young-ish. And I was like, oh, sleep when you're dead. Stress isn't a real thing, you know. Um, and so I would sleep three or four hours a night and had been doing that for a couple of years. I, I was eating a, a very high carb, low fat vegan diet, which um, I think for me under any circumstance isn't the best fit for me. I think for some people it can be a wonderful fit for, but the stress, the sleep deprivation, all the other stuff that I had going on. Um, I, looking back, I literally was doing every single thing wrong to support my health and, and suffered pretty catastrophic consequences. And uh, it was right around this time, my mother was diagnosed with a host of interrelated autoimmune disease, and she had some significant gut issues. And it was in talking to her that I figured out, oh, I probably have a lot of the same things going on. And one of the primary things that she was diagnosed with was celiac disease, which is this autoimmune gluten reactive condition. And so I got tested for it. Sure enough, I had celiac. And so I just looked at 
the way I had been eating and uh, uh, started doing some research in this idea or a concept of the paleo diet kind of popped into my head. And mind you, this was 1998. So this was a long time ago. And I went into the house, turned on my dial-up computer, waited for the hamsters to do what they do at that time, <laughs> and uh, into this new search engine called Google, I put this term Paleolithic diet. And I, I found some really interesting stuff. And a lot of what it spoke to was the potential for people to develop uh, G gastrointestinal and autoimmune related issues with some of these like evolutionarily novel foods, grains, legumes, and dairy. And most folks don't think about that as being like something new, like that's the cornerstone of our, our diet. And uh, Lauren Cordain, who wrote that paper, it, it was very craftily done. He called it uh, cereal grains, hu humanity's double-edged sword. And he made the case it's been very, very good in, in some regards and has had some downsides in other regards. So the long and short of that is that I got in and started tinkering with a kind of low carb paleo type diet and it was absolute magic for me. Um, I had all kinds of wacky stuff as a kid, kind of dyslexia, I think what people would call ADHD now and that stuff just, just resolved remarkably. And it sounds kind of over the top miraculous, but for me, it was really, really powerful. And it was so powerful that I, I kind of came to the conclusion that standard medical school path was not going to work for me. I couldn't spend another eight years learning about pathology and disease and really kind of a disease, you know, kind of management via pharmaceuticals and surgery, just what didn't really fit with me. But funny enough, right around this time, I was also still fishing around the interwebs and I found this weird workout online called CrossFit. And this was around 2000, 2001. And I started doing this online workout with my good friend, Dave Warner, who's a retired Navy SEAL. And within about three months, we had about 15 people training with us out of his garage up in Seattle. And uh, we reached out to the Glassmans, who are the founders of CrossFit, and we said, hey, we love what you're doing. We'd like to open a gym and call it CrossFit. And they said, go be achieved, do it. And so I ended up opening what was then the, the first and then uh, the fourth CrossFit affiliate gyms, uh, working for CrossFit HQ for a number of years. Um, if people like CrossFit, they think that's a pretty cool story. If they hate CrossFit, then usually they they hope that I, I suffer a fiery death at some point. So, <laughs> but you know it, it, that that whole process allowed me to work with um, literally tens of thousands of people all around the world, all kinds of different uh, lifestyles and backgrounds. Uh, uh, police, military, and fire, um, you know, fo folks that are struggling with, with different, you know, health conditions. And the, e even though CrossFit is kind of uh, synonymous with, uh, I guess, kind of elite, hard-charging athletes within that, that group of people, um, there are a lot of people that were really sick, autoimmune disease, GI problems, uh, metabolic conditions. And that was really where my heart resonated because, Although it's cool to work with an elite athlete, I kind of felt like they were going to be elite no matter what I did. Like I, 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 I might help a little bit. There might be a percentage point here or there that would change. But if somebody was really sick and if they had exhausted everything that mainstream medicine had to offer, which is basically pharmaceuticals and surgery, and if it didn't address what they had going on, which for virtually all chronic degenerative diseases, it doesn't. And there was a possibility that this kind of ancestral health model, this evolutionary biology kind of perspective 
could really, really make a difference. It could literally save their life. And so that's kind of the, the area of expertise that I went into. Uh, some people in health are known for like diamond hard abs and, and, you know, glutes and stuff, but I'm kind of the, the poop guy. Like I go super deep into the poop topic and digestion and all that. And that's what I've been doing for like 22 years now. Yeah, that's great. Uh, thanks for sharing that. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've, I definitely uh, share, a, I guess, a common passion about it's way I've been training in the gym for a while and helping people. And um, there's nothing more fulfilling than really helping somebody that's be, been dealing with chronic illness, like what, like a mystery chronic illness, yep. helping them make progress yep. is, uh, is way more fulfilling than taking, you know, a tenth of a second off someone's 40 meter dash or something. Yeah. Yep. Yep. For sure. Both of them are cool. And some people really resonate with, uh, uh, you know, fiddling at that, that extreme edge of human performance, but I, I maybe I'm, it could be laziness, honestly, but it's, <laughs> um, if somebody's really sick, if you can get them moving in any good direction, you know, it's like, just eat some whole food, go to bed a little bit earlier, take a walk, you know, it's, it, it's shocking what it will do for folks. And then when they start getting some forward momentum, they're like, Oh, I like this. I like being in my body. I like feeling better, you know? And so there's this amazing feed forward mechanism. And then when you think about kind of the reverberations that one person you like, say, you have a mother of three and she's struggling to stay on top of dealing with her kids and her family and career, you know, what, whatever she has going on. If she starts feeling way better, then there's this ripple effect on oh, her yeah. kids, on her work, on her family and everything. So I think that that's why it's been so gratifying for me to, to focus on, on those areas. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. And you know, over the years I've no, like, I'm into all kinds of fun technologies and, but it definitely has been made apparent that the things that move the needle the most are the most basic of the things yeah. like, uh, whether it be hydration, which I'm sure we'll get into or sunlight and sleep and obviously nutrition. And, um, you know, you, you were nice enough or your team sent me, uh, a uh, gift of some of your new product that I'm totally digging. I'm drinking some right now. El is it pronounced element? element? Yep. Okay. Yep. Um, and it's basically like a mix of electrolytes. And I think I've heard you refer to it as uh, like salt forward or something like yeah, it's a salt yeah. heavy. And I've always been amazed. Like I've had all kinds of funky, maybe like fringe therapies. I went on a, a healing. I'm still navigating through it. A pretty nasty healing journey myself from Lyme. And I've, uh, I've been in the doctor's office getting IVs a lot. And there's something I've noticed that all these IVs all come with a bunch of salt water. Yes. And when you yeah. go to the hospital and you don't feel good, there's a very high percentage chance that the first thing they're going to do for treatment is give you salt water in your veins. Yeah. And salt has gotten this odd, like bad rap over the years. And when you, the more you learn about like physiology, it's like, well, we need this for everything. Like, how could yep. this be the bad guy? Like, how did that come about that salt got such a bad rap? It, it, it's, it's really wacky. And it, it's uh, on the one hand, it's very understandable. And then on the other hand, it's like, oh, how did we get this so wrong? But when you look at the modern sources of sodium in most diets, it, it's from super processed foods. And I don't care which 
end of the spectrum you're on, you know, paleo versus vegan or what have you, um, I don't think there's a lot of contention around the, the idea that hyper palatable, highly processed foods are bad news. Like they cause a host of problems. And one of the big problems that does occur from eating processed foods is hypertension, high blood pressure. And we know that this is a major, major risk factor in stroke and cardiovascular disease, kidney disease. And sodium is a player in that. But what gets missed in this story is that when we are in a, an environment where we overeat in general, but in particular, if we overeat refined carbohydrates, our insulin levels go up because insulin helps us to manage carbohydrates. And when insulin levels are high, we tend to upregulate the production of a hormone called aldosterone. And aldosterone causes us to retain sodium. Now, this is good under some circumstances, but it's really problematic on, in this situation where people are gaining weight and their, their blood pressure is going up. And we mainly focus on the sodium part, not all this, the, the other, you know, pieces, the hyper palatable food, like Lay's potato chips, their tagline is bet you can't eat just one. And right. I'll, I'll take that bet all day long. You know, <laughs> there's some very smart food chemists that figure out how to make this stuff really, really tasty so that we eat the whole, the whole container. But this is an interesting thing. There have been lots and lots of very well-performed studies looking at folks placed on low sodium diets and they have almost zero effect on blood pressure because they're still feeding these folks a diet that is too high in carbohydrate, too high in refined carbohydrate. Their insulin levels remain high, their aldosterone levels remain high, and so they retain all the sodium that, that is available there. Do you know and why that is, is? Why does, ald I'm sorry, is it aldosterone? Yeah. Aldosterone, yeah. Do you know why that mechanism is in there that that retains so sodium? It, it's just, so when we, when we look kind of big picture at our physiology, arguably the most tightly controlled thing is our, in our physiology is pH. If our pH goes up too much, if it goes down too much, you will die. And before you die, you will feel horribly sick along the way. So that's really tightly regulated. Arguably the next most tightly regulated part of our physiology is our sodium potassium ratio. And we tend to have more sodium outside of cells and more potassium inside of cells. And literally every thought we have, every nerve impulse, every muscle fiber that when we move is driven by these sodium potassium pumps. And so- Which is this just is, basically moving sodium and potassium from outside of the cell, inside, back and forth? It, it's almost like if you imagine like a hydroelectric dam where there's water behind the dam and when it comes through the dam, it, we could harness energy there. Okay. The way that our, our cellular machinery making ATP, our kind of currency of, of energy in life is driven by these sodium potassium pumps. So it's, it's a, a, a amazingly slick mechanism and effectively all life on earth functions by using these kind of uh, uh, ion gradients that having more of some here and more of some, uh, something else there. And then when they try to equilibrate or come to a normal spot, then we're, the organism is able to harness energy from that. And I know that gets out kind of into the physiological weeds a little bit, but it's just, it's very, very important. And this really harkens back to your point that you made that say like you go in for like a uh, Myers cocktail or something to deal with Lyme or extreme adrenal fatigue or what have you. If those folks don't have adequate sodium in that mix, it can make you very sick or you could potentially die from a condition called hyponatremia, low, low blood sodium. 
And unfortunately, this is something that happens a lot. Um, people who are, are exercising, doing marathons, doing triathlons, we've been told for about 30, 40 years, drink eight, eight ounce glasses of water a day, we need to hydrate. But what is missed in this whole story is that if you look in a textbook of medical physiology, hydration is the water and the electrolytes that, that come with the water. But somewhere along the line, we just jettison the electrolytes, which the sodium, interestingly, is maybe the most important in that whole mix. If we get enough sodium, our kidneys are pretty good at figuring out the potassium and the magnesium and the calcium, like it can kind of sort that stuff out. But if we're deficient in sodium, things can get bad and people will feel lethargic, foggy headed, kind of brain fog. They will start getting cramping at the more extreme edges of this. So it's it, interesting. It is, yeah. I'm sorry. To cut you, off. you mentioned like, yeah. if you're active, you know, the, I know that the body is like on some level, like a battery. I mean, it's an electrical mm -hmm. piece mm -hmm. of machinery, moving electrical energy and chemical energy and, you know, making mechanical energy out of it somehow. And it's like, just like any other battery, you know, if you don't use it much, maybe you don't need that much, but if you have an active lifestyle, which most people are, if you're not act, like we try to be, you know, sometimes right. that's hard right. if you have a 50 hour week job in front of a computer. But if you are, I like, I know I thrive when I'm moving two to three hours a day and yep. it's um, that's a lot of activity. So yep. naturally like you're going to need a lot more of the things that run the battery basically. Right, right. And yeah. if you add in like a, a sauna or even a hot bath where you might be sweating and not realizing you are realize it like you're, yeah. you're losing a lot of that and you need enormous a, amounts. Yeah. Yeah. So it's some of the work that we, we have done with some, uh, professional sports teams. Like we've been doing some work with some NHL, uh, hockey players. And these are big guys they are like 210, 220 pounds, super active, but uh, some of these guys will lose up to 10 pounds of water in a game or practice session. Oh, wow. And associated with that water is up to 10 grams of sodium. And wow. our, our, our recommendations from say like the American uh, Medical Association, American Dietetics Association is to consume less than 2000 milligrams, two grams of sodium per day. So this That's is the like RDA. This, that's the RDA. And it, it, an interesting aside with that, there was a, a study done maybe about four years ago looking at all-cause mortality in type 2 diabetic heart patients. And they looked at the sodium intake of these folks. And what was interesting was the, it, it was what's called a U-curve. So it had this, this U-shape. And at very low intakes of sodium, mortality uh, was higher. Morbidity and mortality, death and illness was higher at five grams of intake per day was the lowest morbidity and mortality. And then it started going up with increasing sodium intake. But what was interesting is the at higher sodium levels, it was a flatter curve. So you had to get out to almost eight to 10 grams of sodium per day to be as uh, experiencing the same amount of morbidity and mortality as two grams per day. So the takeaway from that is that it looks like it's far more dangerous to have too little sodium in general than too much. And, and there are caveats to that. There are some people who are sodium sensitive hyper responders and a little bit of sodium can really increase their blood pressure. But interestingly, those folks do really, really well by reducing their carbohydrate load 
and getting that insulin and aldosterone down. And then their body ends up normalizing and the blood pressure tends to elevated blood pressure tends to go away. This is one of these things that people will dismiss about lower carb diets. They'll say, well, a bunch of the weight you just lost is quote, just water weight. And that's true. But that just water weight was usually their hypertension potential. Like their, their blood pressure goes from too high down to normal. And in some cases it goes a little bit too low and people can feel dizzy or lightheaded well on a lower carb diet. And that's where they really do need to, to supplement their electrolytes, specifically sodium. Yeah. It seems like if you have high blood pressure, the way I, I, I understand it, reducing sodium could make the blood pressure go down, but you don't have high blood pressure because of the sodium. Correct. Like, correct. Yep. Yep. It's always and that's because what's oftentimes of some other issues. Missed in this. Yep. Right. Yep. Is that ratio typical? Like if you lose a pound of water, let's say you go in a sauna, let's say you lose a pound of water through sweat. Is that one gram of salt per pound that you mentioned where a hockey player could lose 10 pounds yep. and 10 grams? Is that generally consistent? There's massive variation on that. So you have, which makes it a little complex to, to make recommendations, but there are some people, more men than women that are what we call super sweaters. Like they just, at any given work output, they just pour sweat. And they also tend to lose disproportionately higher amounts of sodium. They may lose up to 50% more than somebody who's not a super sweater and they don't shed as much sodium. So there are some brackets there, but there's, there's more, there's more variation there than there is consistency. So it's, right. it's, it's really hard to get a, a super strong, you know, to get your arms around exactly how much is, is going on there. That's where we tend to just make general recommendations for most folks shooting for somewhere around five grams of sodium per day as part of their whole diet. Not that they're just supplementing with like gotcha. element or something like that, but they're eating some olives or eating some pickles or salting their food. And so they're, they're getting it ideally from whole food, largely unprocessed sources. I know that personally, I fairly low carb on the vast majority of days. And, um, I salt really heavily to the point where like people look at me funny kind of right. level of salting right. my food. Um, but I feel better with it. I mean, yep. so, and it's interesting. You raise this idea of like, it's kind of like a risk reward relationship where there's a much greater risk of having too little. So you might as well go heavy on it, but because there's less of a risk of having too much. If somebody, like, would there be any evidence? Is there a barometer that we have that would let us know if we're going a little too far and having too much, you think? So one, one barometer is what we call disaster pants. So if you do too much, <laughs> you can can end up with some diarrhea. And that's kind of the, more, you know, pretty extreme deal. Uh, beyond that, it, it's interesting. Even if somebody gets a little bit of a blood pressure uptick in general, about 15 to 20 minutes later, the kidneys have kind of sorted this out and brought things back down to a, a normal level. But that's something that folks could do if they're curious about this. I know a lot of people are into kind of quantified self stuff and using wearables to see what they, you know, what their heart rate variability is and in their sleep and whatnot. And a really simple thing to do is to just get an inexpensive blood pressure monitor and do that before you, you have a, a meal or something like element and then do it 10 minutes, 20 minutes afterwards, and just kind of see how you respond to it. Like yeah. uh, we, we've had some pretty eye-opening, 
you know, discoveries around monitoring some stuff like that. Gotcha. It's funny, you mentioned how the kidneys are good at like tightly regulating, you know, these balances. I think I heard um, one of the doctors I follow, Peter Atia. are you familiar with it? Yep, yep. I think he said it once and um, it was like the dumbest kidney cell is smarter than the smartest nephrologist. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you can't yeah. outthink the inner wisdom that this body has. It's pretty impressive stuff. Yeah. And, and that, yeah, pH is so tightly regulated, but you know, it always, whenever I hear somebody that's not feeling optimal, I'm always thinking like, what are the absolute basics? Like what is the substrate of nutrition and basic things we need and minerals? You know, we, people have gotten on to thinking about like kind of macronutrients pretty well and, and even some vitamins, but like, the minerals are like that's what runs the batteries. So, right. so you made this product, and I'm I'm sipping on some now, and I really dig some of these flavors. Um, they're fairly unique, and honestly, there's a, a box that is kind of spicy flavors. Yeah. And uh, I've been navigating some like histamine issues and trying to stay away from some spicy stuff. So I haven't delved into that. My kids have gotten into them, but um, the more citrusy ones, I think it's like a raspberry one and a citrus one and an orange one. I've really been yep. enjoying. They're really palatable. And, um, you know, at first the salt is like, well, you're reminded like, oh, I'm drinking right. salt here. But uh, after a few, you know, days of trying them, like I've, I've really, uh, really like adjusted in a way that yep. I'm like craving it. And my body, I'm trying to listen to my body, like how much is my body telling me? to get with these. And in these, it's not just salt. You put some of the other basics in there. There's some potassium. What else is in there? Yep. And some ma magnesium. And, magnesium. and the, the way that we arrived at the formulation, we looked at the uh, dietary records of about 300 people that were following kind of a low carb, but whole food based diet. So they weren't eating processed food. They weren't getting half their protein from protein powders. Like they were eating whole unprocessed food. And to your point, like people are pretty good at looking at protein, carbs, fat these days, but the sodium, magnesium, potassium, calcium, it, it just kind of gets lost in the shuffle. But what was interesting when we looked at an average of all these folks, almost everybody was quite good on calcium. Like they were getting adequate levels of calcium. Uh, they were a little bit deficient in magnesium more so in potassium, but they were like woefully deficient in sodium, particularly because they were eating at the lower carb side of things. And that's exactly how we arrived at the formulation. It was specifically to be kind of a, a band-aid to an otherwise well-formulated whole food-based diet. So it's truly a, a supplement. This is not like a yeah. replacement. And, and you make a good point. Like the when you're eating processed foods, you don't have to account for the sodium so much, but most people, as you move towards a healthier lifestyle, you have to be more aware of how much sodium you're getting. And this is yeah, really a and, delightful yep. way to supplement. Well, and you know, the only, like I should have some magical story about it. It's like, oh, it's this unique form of salt from, you know, the backwaters of the Himalayas, but there's, there's nothing magical about it other than it's convenient. And we really do work to, to have great flavors and to flavor them in as natural and unobtrusive a, a way as we possibly can. Like I, I use this stuff, my kids use this stuff. So I, I, uh, I, you know, I don't want them growing a third arm or something like that. So we actually did, uh, you, you know, really focus on it. But the the real magic there is just the convenience and, and the fact that it tastes good. And I, I also 
I'll, I'll say relative to some, some other formulations out there, people are so afraid of sodium, you know, knock on wood, the, the company has done really well, but um, there's almost been this kind of weird force field around it because people have entered the scene with their own electrolyte options, but people are so afraid of sodium that uh, they, they end up not really doing the the products appropriately, in my opinion. And we, we are so fired up about just getting people adequate sodium intake that we have a, how to make it yourself PDF that we've had over a half million downloads. And we tell oh, you exactly cool. how to make your own element at home, use this much salt, this much, no salt, this much magnesium citrate, use some lemon juice. Uh, we mentioned things like eating olives, eating pickles, drinking pickle juice, doing chicken bouillon cubes, like, we, we just want to help people get their sodium levels dialed in. And the, the really cool thing about this, like I have a very dear friend, uh, Dr. Kirk Parsley. He might be a, a great person for your show. He's a retired Navy SEAL. He's a sleep expert. He's a physician also. And he actually ran all of the, the medical concerns for the West Coast Navy SEALs for about eight years. He has a product called Sleep Remedy, which is amazing. And he ended up developing it because of all the disordered sleep that he saw within these Navy SEAL populations. But the thing about that product, it has a pretty tight feedback loop, but you have to go home, take it, sleep, wake up, and then assess whether or not, oh, yeah, I think I slept better last night, you know, it, it, but with the electrolytes, and again, it, if you just, if you're feeling off and you've got a jar of pickles, pour off like, you know, this much pickle juice and shoot some of it down. And five minutes later, you're going to be like, I feel amazing, you know, and like that mid afternoon energy slump or what have you. So we're just really passionate, really about two things, trying to educate people about the need for adequate electrolytes in particular sodium, and then really trying to, to highlight that we're, we're probably getting too much sugar in the diet and that we, we should be dialing that down, particularly for our, for our kids. So those are kind of our, our two pronged missions that we have uh, gotcha. within, within element. Yeah. Yeah. So if someone, so you, you mentioned like, see how you feel, would that be, you think the most common like symptom or sensation that would arise when someone is low on sodium, they just, you're lacking the energy that you feel you should have. Yeah. You, you know, usually some brain fog, lethargy, fatigue, cramping is kind of, uh, it, it's common, but this is quite far down the, the path. Like once we get to the point, you know, like, uh, when I do Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, it's very active with the feet because it's a grappling sport and I'll get those toe cramps, you know, where like your toe feels like it's going to curl up into your body. I'm really electrolyte deficient once I get to a toe cramp. Like I've gone really far down the path to allowing my electrolytes to get out of balance. So at the kind of extreme is cramping and uh, uh, anything kind of north of that, it's brain fog, lethargy, low energy, and again, you know, to some degree, this just kind of describes modern life. Like I have two kids. I'm very fortunate. I have so much uh, uh, gratitude and good fortune in my life. And it's also very long days. Like uh, <laughs> when my head hits the pillow, I'm kind of like, and then I wake up the next day, it's kind of a groundhog's day thing. It's like, oh my God, again, <laughs> you know, already. But um, but it, it, it's, uh, uh, I'm able to sleep. 
well. I'm able to carve out some time for some meditation every day. I've got my food reasonably dialed in. And still, if my electrolytes aren't really on point, there's kind of like a 10 or 20% kind of dip in my energy level and just kind of feeling like I'm really firing on all cylinders. And I, I've never used the analogy of a battery, but that's it. it if folks aren't aware, batteries operate due to positively and negatively charged ions interacting. And you've got a bunch of positive ones in one spot and negative ones in another. And when they come together, that, that releases energy and you're able to harness that energy. And that's the way a battery works. And that is exactly the way our physiology works using these sodium potassium pumps. Yeah. And it's interesting. Uh, you know, we're both, I guess, passionate about helping people that haven't felt good for a while. And, mm -hmm. You know, I'm working with somebody recently and she's given me her rundown of like what her routine is and, you know, it's like preliminary questionnaire. And, you know, there's all these, this is somebody that's been run down for a long time. And to the point where, you know, she's on three foods, lots of autoimmune, very low mm -hmm. energy. And I'm seeing these like deep, she's doing all these like detox protocols. And, and I'm thinking like, you're asking your body to do kind of extra work. Cause like if you're in balance, it takes less energy to stay in balance than when you're out of balance of what it takes to get back into balance. Back. Yeah. And yeah. the amount, like you need to be able to support the basics like significantly, if you're going to ask your body to go this extra step to like heal from something that's been holding you back. And I, it's it's unfortunate that the it's and I don't want to say it's neglected in the mainstream model because if you go to the hospital they give you saline in your veins but right. it's like it shouldn't take that to get like some basic parts of the battery like run the battery like right. you need to right. make energy to do all the other things you want to do and we're willing to like do all these kind of hardcore protocols and skipping this step of like, you got to support the, the basics so that you can do all these other things. Yeah. It's super well put. That's super well put. And it, it, again, it's tough because I think something like 60% of Americans are, are recognized as being insulin resistant and the insulin resistance is this predisposing factor to high blood pressure. So there's this real anxiety around high blood pressure and sodium, and it's understandable. It's just, again, from my perspective, it's, it's misfocused. It's not the sodium per se. It's the food that is associated with the sodium, which is typically highly processed food. And then the, the, you know, like uh, liquid calories, liquid, um, you know, uh, sodas and even juices and stuff like that, like that, that huge sugar bolus, um, from liquid calories. It, it, it's, it's something that, um, 150 years ago just didn't exist, you know? Right. And so, and now, so some Americans are getting 25 to 30% of their total calorie input in the form of, of liquid <laughs> beverage, you yeah, know, that's, sugared that's beverages. Yeah. 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 So you, you mentioned there that you make time to meditate. This is primarily a meditation channel. So I have to ask like, what's, what's your style what type of meditation do you rely on? Oh man. Um, I, this is going to be, I am a white belt in, in meditation. <laughs> uh, I, I had tried a lot of different things and nothing really stuck. Uh, I, I really like Sam Harris and his yeah. stuff was, I, I, it just didn't stick for me at all. 
And then this, this woman, Emily Fletcher, she has oh, a, yeah. a program Ziva meditation. She has a book called uh, stress less accomplish more. And my wife read that. And my, my wife, Nikki doesn't make many demands of me, but she was like, you must do this. And what she did is she literally showed, she's like, read this, this page and this page out of the book. And I read it. I'm like, oh, this makes total sense. And it was basically spend a couple of minutes where, where Emily describes uh, coming to your senses. So I think about, you know, what am I smelling? What do I taste? What do I hear? What do I see? What do I feel? And then I do kind of a mantra based, uh, uh, you know, inhale, exhale. My mantra is just one. It's like, oh, we're one with everything, you know, and I do that for about 15 minutes. And then I have a little wrap up where I think about some some gratitude in my life. And I do that in the morning and I do it in the afternoon. And um, I would say ancestral eating saved my life. Like it, it pulled me back from that ulcerative colitis scene. I would have probably died from that or they were wanting to do surgery and the medications for it are terrible. And this was more than 20 years ago. Daily meditation practice has been as impactful on my life as ancestral eating was. Like it is... When I'm laying on my deathbed, it's going to be like, oh, you know, ancestral eating, getting adequate sunlight in a daily meditation practice were like these, these just non-negotiable features of my life. And it's been pretty cool. We, uh, I have eight and six-year-old daughters and they're going through the kids program and, uh, uh, it, it's stunning what it does for kids. You know, I mean, they, I think that they need it even more than adults, you know, and how amazing would it be to get them set up with this uh, meditation practice at the age of eight, like I got it at 48. So yeah. there was 40 years of you know miss, missed opportunity there. But yeah, I mean, I'm super basic. And I've had a lot of people say, well, why don't you try this? Why don't you try that? And uh, I'm really, uh, I'm of the opinion that if something's not broken, don't, don't mess with it. And I'm going to ride this this, this one until the, the wheels just fall off the wagon, you know, and it, that may be the rest of my life or it may be two more weeks. I'm not entirely sure, but that's kind of the totality of my meditation practice there. And, and I would actually say my Brazilian jiu-jitsu is very much a moving meditation practice because um, you are 100% focused in the moment. Um, I only go at a pace that I, I will nasal breathe. So I can only breathe through my nose. And if I start going hard enough where I feel like I have to breathe through my mouth, I'm going too hard. If I get my ass kicked, I get my ass kicked. That's just what there is to it. But that that's kind of my moving meditation practice. How often do you train in jujitsu? About three days a week right now. Yeah. And do you still get in the gym outside of that? Or I get like two days a week of strength training and between that and the jujitsu and then just trying to generally be active and run around with the kids. That's about all I all I pull off. Yeah. 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 I've noticed me as I'm 40, I'm coming up on 44. And as I've gotten older, I've made like, I've had to make little adjustments to the exercise routine and, you know, I'm spending more time overall being active, but mm -hmm. I'm shortening the amount of time of where I'm under significant load where yep. it's really only, you know, I have like my two heavy days a week. But even though it's like a two, two and a half hour total workout where I'm going kind of very slow, mm -hmm. there's really only, you know, a handful of reps each day that right. are perceived as sig significantly heavy. Right. But then just lots of kind of feel good stuff throughout those workouts and throughout the week. And, um, you know, 
five years ago, even I didn't have to think that way. But once right. you cross 40, it's like, oh, you have to make adjustments. Otherwise, it seems like you just get run down. Some yeah, people it, don't, but the average it, folks need to make adjustments. For sure. It's it's interesting. Like I think in your in one's 30s, you can have about as good a performance as you're in your 20s in general. But like sleep becomes that non-negotiable thing. Like where in your early 20s, you could do a really hard day and maybe go out and party and not really sleep that well and get up the next day and you feel rough, but you can, you can still can go to the well and do it again. Once you hit your thirties, that's done. Like you, <laughs> you've got to at least recharge. And then once you hit your forties, I would say you can still have phenomenal performance, but you have to really pay attention to the volume and the intensity of the training. And um, you have to really pick carefully how often you go to the well, how often you you dig a hole that you then need to recover out of. Like my strength training activity, I am never knackered or fatigued afterwards. Like it's 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 challenging, but it's not like my my years gone by where um I need to go lay on the couch for a little bit afterwards. Like if I do that now, then I can't play with my kids. I can't right. do the jujitsu. Like there's, there's only a couple, one or two hard sessions a week I get. And I, I save that for jujitsu. Yeah. 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 You don't want to detract from the quality of life. The idea is that it should, it should fill the cup still. It should serve yes. your yeah. lifestyle. Yeah. 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 I think uh, one of the guys I learned from Pavel Satsalina, I think he says it, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his last name, right. That you should feel ready for battle after your workout. Yes. Yeah. And <laughs> Pavel's been a huge influence on me. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Great. Yeah. yeah. And that that's a funny juxtaposition with uh, being in the CrossFit scene. And that's part of the reason why I, I, I think I ended up uh, kind of running afoul of that because their, their moniker was basically figure out how to do more and more and more. And my whole thing has been, how do you get the most from doing the least amount possible? You know, that minimum uh, minimum investment, maximum return kind of thing, which Pavel is an absolute genius with that. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. He was very, uh, influential in my, in my journey too. I remember yep. meeting him at one of the certifications. It was like the first time in my life, I felt a little bit of a little starstruck almost. Yeah. Like yeah. he had changed my life for years at that point. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, he's right here. I felt well, like he's a super charismatic gratitude. guy too. So oh, yeah, he's, he's definitely. cool. He's super cool. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Uh, that's interesting. So you, you mentioned this ancestral diet. I think that's, or is that how you say it? Sometimes we'll call it the uh, ancestral template, the evolutionary template. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Could you maybe, um, would you be willing to kind of give the framework of what a typical day or how you approach that for you? Like what, how does that work for you? What does it look like? Yeah. And, and, you know, there's kind of like the ideal versus the reality of, of right. living life, but um <laughs> Uh, we, I'll actually start it at the end of the day and then kind of work, work back through because we do try to go to bed fairly early and that will vary a little bit with the seasons. Like in the, in the winter, we go a little bit, uh, go to bed a little bit earlier as the summer days get longer. We, we tend to stretch that out a little bit. Once we get around sunset, I put on some blue blockers because that, that screens out the blue wavelengths of light and tends to facilitate relaxing and melatonin production, uh, try to sleep in a reasonably cool room so that I can, you know, hunker under my blankets and, and feel pretty good. Uh, and your wife's cool with that? No, uh, no yeah. fight over that? No huge fight. She does have one extra blanket on her side of the bed versus oh, mine. Smart. But yeah, I need to yeah. try that. That would be a good yeah. intervention. Yeah. 
Yeah. And there's something called a chili pad that you can actually heat or cool right. both sides of the bed. And so that, that that's kind of an interesting thing too. But I get up in the morning, um, do my pour my cup of coffee, do my first meditation. By the time I'm done with the meditation, it's about 15 minutes. Then my cup of coffee is drinkable. I have that cup of coffee. Uh, if the sun is up by then, and again, this kind of depends on the time of year, then I really try to go outside and just get some sun in my eyes, on my person. We live in Montana now, so it can be cold going out and doing that. But even a gray day, it's far more light outside than it is inside. So I start trying to set up that circadian entrainment, that circadian biology. I, I think that that is about as important as the food side of all this stuff and actually influences the food. Um, the fourth micronutrient, light. Yep. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I'll usually have breakfast somewhere around eight or nine. I always try to do that with my girls. We homeschool. So, you know, we're that that's very fortunate that we're able to do that. Um, breakfast is usually big, big chunk of protein, um, usually some nuts. And then depending on the activity for that day, I might have some fruit with it. And I'll just kind of go go off a feel with that. And I just stick with whatever seasonal fruit is available right now. I'm doing citrus in the summer. I do more berries and melons and that just kind of rotates through the seasons. Um, I try to work out somewhere around noon or one o'clock and that's usually jujitsu time or sometimes some weights. Uh, sometimes I have a lunch and sometimes I don't, sometimes it's two meals a day. Sometimes it's, it's three. I just kind of go by appetite on that. And like, if I had a really hard jujitsu day, then it's, it's usually three meals. Um, one thing I don't like to do is to eat too much food at any one time. Like that will bomb out my digestion. And I know people are super geeked out on fasting and intermittent fasting and everything. And I think it's cool stuff. I wrote my first article on intermittent fasting in 2005. And by 2006, I deeply regretted releasing that because people <laughs> just kind of have gone crazy with it. And so I do try to eat more of my calories early in the day. I think that there's some, some metabolic benefit to doing that. So my meals get progressively smaller throughout the day. Uh, Is that because just like more insulin sensitive early? Correct. Yeah. 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 Okay. And then we, uh, you know, we, depending on weather and all that, we might do a family walk. We might play some tag out in the front yard, you know, me versus my, my kids and our, our Rhodesian Ridgeback dog and just kind of running around outside. And then what we've been doing in the evening is actually listening to some books on tape. And so we're, we'll, we'll have some story that the kids are listening to like Watership Down or bark of the bog owl or something like that. And we all do some kind of foam rolling and stretching in the living room floor. Oh, you do that all together as a family? Do it all together as That's a family. Great. And we just kind of wind down. Um, and we, we will do like a family movie night on Fridays. We let the kids watch a little bit of TV on Saturdays, but that's a, that's a pretty typical day, but we, we like that audiobook wind down so that we can share some time as a family, but it's not watching another screen and kind right. of the activity there. We can have the lights kind of low. And so it, it just facilitates letting everybody go to bed and kind of wind down and all that. That's and great, uh, that's a pretty typical day. Yeah, that's a pretty typical day. The girls go to jujitsu two or three days a week. Also, uh, their classes are a little later in the, the day. So those days, um, we have dinner a little bit later. Generally, So the jujitsu gyms are open where you're at. Do you have yeah, to mask yeah. up for that? 
in the gym? We do not. We do not. Oh, um, both te- when we were in Texas and when we were uh, now that we're in Montana, I mean, there's just a sign there that says, it, you know, take reasonable responsibility. And, and if you're not feeling well, you know, like you should have done pre-COVID. And it, it's been interesting. Um, nobody in the gym has, has, there's never been a super spreader event in the gym. And I've been doing jujitsu under COVID for you know, it's the, the whole duration, you know? And so if somebody feels even the least bit off, they just don't come in and it, it, it's been totally fine, you know? And I, I think it's interesting not to divert this and people are probably so fatigued over COVID, but um, jujitsu is interesting when you think about our innate immune response. It, 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 we have the innate immune, immunity and then adaptive immunity. Adaptive immunity is when we make antibodies to things, but our innate immune response, that's where somebody may get exposed to a cold or the flu or COVID or something, and they just fight it off. Like they never really get sick from it. It's only when you get sick and then need to, to make antibodies that you go into that, that second phase of immunity. One of the best ways to tune your innate immune response is being around other people and animals and stuff like that, because you're getting- How dare you? <laughs> I know it's kind of crazy. Bacteria, viruses, um, you're always getting that stuff exchanged. And also I, I really, within the ancestral health template is the community. So it's sleep, food, movement, and community are kind of the, the pillars there. And um, we, we understand pretty clearly that a inadequate commu- uh, social connectivity is as negatively impactful on our health as a pack a day smoking habit. Like that is crystal clear. I don't want to say the science is settled because people have worn that one out, but it's, it's pretty damn compelling. And when you think about the reality that we evolved in small group, extended family, you know, scenarios that this is, it, it's, it's stressful for elephants and bonobos and, and lions to be isolated because they are social animals. Coyotes and tigers are in, they, spend the bulk of their lives alone. And so it's, it's social isolation isn't a big deal for them. Social isolation, like uh, the worst thing that happens to somebody in prison is being put in solitary confinement. Like people go crazy from that. And um, so this is all the reasons why when I've done the risk analysis of uh, doing jujitsu in the age of COVID versus not like, Yes, your potential to exposure is greater, but I'm metabolically healthy. I'm almost 50, but you know, when I look at all the the numbers and whatnot, like I I just don't I see the risk analysis siding on, yeah, I want to be around people, I want community, I want oh, that connection with folks. Yeah. 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 yeah, for me, where I live, it's just hard to get people to want to be with you. We had our first right. gathering this weekend where I had some friends that were willing to come over. And like, right. they freaked out when I hug them when they get here and I'm like, oh, you're getting hugged, yeah. you know? And, yeah. um, and you could see like shock in their face and it's, it's tough where I'm at. I'm in a place where the, there's just still a year, like at this point with all what we know, there's still just tons of fear around yeah. being around people. It's really unfortunate. And I don't think the media is really helping on that one. Look, I know you have a hard stop coming up. Um, I know you're a busy guy and this has been really great. I really, I'm really grateful that you took the time to chat with me and I would love to do a follow-up sometime. I know you have uh, this other workout, the sacred cow that I would love to hear more about. I'm very passionate about that topic too. And um, it would just be great to 
uh, take a dive into that. So maybe later in the year, next year, if you'd be willing, we could share that with the audience. Anytime you want me to bring down property values on your show, I will do it. So yeah, I'm, I, I would I'm love honored that. I really to be a conduit today. for you. I really am. <laughs> How do people find out more about you if they want to? Uh, let's see here. Uh, sacredcow.info is a good spot to look for uh, just, just the information around the sustainability work that I'm doing. And then robwolf.com is where most of the other stuff lives, our podcast and all that type of stuff. Great. For the listeners out there, we'll put some links to this uh this salty, yummy, delicious drink element. Um, I highly recommend it. And I'd be very interested in seeing some of the feedback from our community for that. Um, Rob, thank you very much for taking the time. For the listeners out there, of course, I'm grateful for your listening. I hope you got some value out of this conversation. And hopefully we'll see Rob on the channel sometime in the future again. Everybody out there. Well, I want to thank you again for tuning in today. Of course, I'm always grateful for the listening I get from the audience. I appreciate the feedback and for the positive reviews that we've been receiving. If you want to support the Mindful Movement and you're not really sure the best way, check out our membership. We have a fun monthly live meeting where you can kind of hang out with Sarah and I through Zoom, where we all go through a movement and meditation practice together. It's fun stuff. If you think you know somebody that would enjoy this episode, please share it. If you haven't subscribed to the channel yet, please do. I hope you all have a great day.